Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. So I want to tell you about a really great deal. These wonderful loans you can take out that have the low, low interest rate of over 200%. What do you think? Is that what you're looking Sounds for, like Krista? Sounds like a deal. Well, that's happening, and it's not through payday lenders. There's a new trick of the trade you need to know about I'm going to share with you straight ahead. Also, I want to talk about something that the... Uh, personal finance writers call financial infidelity what it is and how it can be a poison inside your relationship. I really want you to think through what I'm going to share with you later about that. So there are a number of people over the years who have made really good livings ripping people off with what are known as payday loans. It's where they essentially give you an advance on your paycheck at an interest rate typically of 400 to 800%. And a number of states have outlawed these, and they still persist as something that people, out of desperation to keep the lights on or to do a repair of their car or whatever, they take out, out of desperation, they take out these payday loans. And it's brutal. Because so often my experience is people dig their hole deeper and deeper because with a payday loan, you're given a very short cycle loan and people do what's called a rollover. They can't make the payment. So they take it out again at another 400, 800% and on like that. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And something that I've sadly profiled in my TV work over and over again, how it led to financial Armageddon for people. Well, now there's a big problem in the U.S. with installment loans that banks are doing with uh, storefront lenders known as fintechs. They're electronic storefronts, and these loans tend to be around 200% or more. So think about those numbers. So you'll take out a loan for six months or a year, and you're to pay a regular payment every month for those six months or a year. And if you go to the credit union and you want to borrow money and you're doing a personal loan and your credit's not so hot, 
The credit union uses a scale based on your credit score, and that rate will flex typically from very low, a couple of percent, maybe 5%, up to 30% or 36% for people whose credit scores are really on the iffy side of the scale. And then if your credit score is lower than that, they might not even allow you to borrow it at um, 36% because they're worried for you and they're worried for them that it's not going to get paid back or you're going to go delinquent. So that's left this opening for banks that are doing the same kind of parallel kind of lending as we've had from the payday lenders, not at 400 800%, but typically 200% or so. And instead of it being this ultra short-term loan, you take out this loan that you have to pay this couple hundred percent over six months or a year. There's a lot of questions whether it's even legal to do this. And there's a dispute among federal regulators if it's legal to sell these loans on the internet and charge people a couple hundred percent. Now, as I've always said with the payday lenders, you know, if they posted outside and payday lenders, although there are some online, they're mostly still storefront. If they had to post a big sign out front, you know, a neon sign or LED sign that said today's interest rate, 552%. And somebody went in there and they said, yes, I'm dying to borrow money at 552%. Um, Maybe you let people do that, maybe. But what's always been the case with payday loans and now is the case with these electronic storefront loans is the interest rates are being hidden. And I think that if people knew that they were taking out a multi-hundred percent loan, people aren't going to do it. Because you think about it in normal banking and finance, a rate that goes over 30% is considered to be a hugely high interest rate for people who are considered to be very high on the risk scale. We're talking about a whole different thing here with these ultra high interest rate loans. And why am I talking about them? Because if you're looking around on the web and you could use a little money to pay this, that, or the other, and you see an instant approval loan offer, I want you to know that you could be about to get in the clutches of one of these 200 plus percent loans. And when do I want you to pay 200 plus percent for a loan? Never, 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 not ever. So please remember that when people are hiding the interest rate, that's when you have to worry. And by the way, do you know who's getting hit by these the most? Small business owners. Oh. Because under the law, there are not the same protections if you were a small business owner and you need money for inventory or whatever it is, there are a lot of these instant offer loans available to small business owners. And unless you ask in writing, you're usually not going to have disclosed to you what the interest rate is on that loan and know that you are the biggest target for this because the size of the loan you're typically going to try to get for your business 
is going to be larger than what an individual might get to do a repair on their car or something. So they're going to try to target you with these ultra-high interest loans. But wait, there's more. Get this. When you borrow money on one of these small business loans at the very high interest rates, they don't just call on the business to be liable for the loan. They pierce what's known as the corporate veil, and you also sign personal responsibility. So it's the worst of all possible worlds. You're taking out an ultra-high interest rate with terms and conditions that they don't necessarily disclose to you. And if you can't pay it, they come after you personally, not just your business. Please be aware. Krista? This is from Doug in Ohio. I hear a lot of radio and podcast hosts recommend buying gold as a hedge for our monetary system going under. What say you, O purveyor of wisdom? Is this a scam for them to make money? If it's worth still doing, do you have any options on how to do it? So gold is not a scam. Gold is what's known as a hedge. In times of uncertainty, people tend to go to gold as a place of a safe refuge. When people doubt the value of what libertarians call fiat currency, government-issued money, and they're worried about um, inflation getting out of control. You know, we've just had a report that inflation over the last time period was 7.5%. That's not, even though that's an ugly amount of inflation in terms of reducing your purchasing power, that's not the kind of inflation that makes gold a really great hedge. It's when inflation gets to a point where it really debases currency in a short period of time. So gold is a place to go that people go when they fear um, political conditions, economic conditions, and the possibility of war. Right now, we have the trifecta going on. We have uh, you know, the saber rattling from the Russians and the Chinese, and we have the North Koreans sending up all these missiles and the Russians and the Chinese working on these hypersonics that nobody in the world has a good defense for. And then we've got the political discontent in the United States. And then we have the economic issues all related to the pandemic that disrupted supply chains and blah, 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 blah. So we have the perfect set of all three things that tend to push people towards gold, silver, and precious metals. So they don't actually produce anything, although gold can be made into jewelry, but having up to 10% of your assets, no more, in gold and precious metals, I think is is fine to do. And again, it's a hedge. It's not a long-term play in terms of what will create long-term wealth for you, but it does give you potentially a safe harbor in stormy waters. And so you see gold move up and down, up and down, up and down, based on world conditions and people's confidence in the world and fears in the world. And that's why it makes a potential safe harbor when other things may decline because of world conditions or U.S. conditions. And this question Did that sound too much like being an economics class? 
No, I love the way you can make it all make sense to us. To me, okay. that's one of the great things you do. So okay. this is from Rosalie. I was worried there. <laughs> this is from Rosalie in Florida. I'm in the market for a new vehicle, and I'm looking to take advantage of the federal tax rebates on electric cars. I prefer an SUV type of vehicle, but it doesn't have to be full size. I read an article about how to get the highest amount of the federal rebate. The article mentioned that the Chevy Volt was currently the only vehicle to check all the boxes to get you the highest tier. It's actually the Bolt, Chevy it's Bolt. The Bolt e- EUV. EUV. Yes. Yeah, electric Chevy utility Bolt. vehicle. But the 2021 and earlier Bolts are currently facing recalls, and Chevy is not manufacturing 2022s until all the recalls have been addressed. So it will be at least four months before the 2022 Bolt EUVs will be arriving on dealer lots. As I can't wait this long, any advice you can give, please? Yeah, so uh, this is so weird to say, but the manufacturers are designing and preparing to produce so many crossover utility vehicles fully electric and a little bit larger they're still crossovers but people look at them as suvs as fully electric but you're not going to see a lot of different models and a lot of inventory till 23 because it takes a while for manufacturers to design test tool up and start making them so right now you don't have a lot of players in this market one that people that is a a crossover style but it looks really small to me for a crossover is the hyundai ionic 5 i think it's called and that one is one that's getting a lot of really really positive reviews we don't know what the chevy bolt euv is going to be like how it's going to perform but the ionic 5 is one that already exists and is getting really good reviews and is eligible for quite a few of the electric vehicle rebates some of them are some states have their own electric vehicle rebates and there's the federal ones and there's no discrimination against foreign producers so the ionic 5 is eligible for the 7500 dollar uh federal tax credit and so uh, i know it's weird to say, as somebody who loves my electric vehicle has been driving one a long time, 23 is going to be a much better year for you to be buying that than 22. This is from Alexis in Georgia. Lately, I've seen some businesses add a 98-cent charge for package protection from a company called Root. I've been able to opt out, but what are the risks of opting out? Should we just pay the charge, or will the company shipping the item still be liable if the package is lost or damage during shipping and delivery? This is a wonderful question, and this is coming up more and more with the theft of packages, packages being misdirected, uh, things coming in damaged, um, you know, the porch pirates, the whole thing. This is a nightmare for the companies you're buying from because think how many dollars in sales they have to have to make up what happened with that package not getting to you. Also, normally, the company that is shipping to you is the one that has the relationship with what's known as the carrier. I mean, we use these terms shipper and carrier interchangeably, but UPS, FedEx, whoever, they're the carrier that the company you're buying from chose. They're the customer of those people, 
And when a package gets damaged or stolen, missing, whatever, what's supposed to happen is the company you're buying from files a claim with UPS, FedEx, the Postal Service, whoever. In the meantime, they're out all that money. So what companies are trying to do to keep their online profitable is get you to pay for an insurance product that deals with the losses. And it's ironic that you're paying the premium to protect the seller who's selling you something. So, I mean, it's not a lot of additional money on the cost of a package, but that's the backstory. And it's also possible that you could buy from an organization that says, in their terms of service, anything that happens is your problem. And that is possible. And then that's a risk of you doing business with that online seller. Have you ever bought anything like insurance? No, I have not. I've never done it. And I had one package that went completely missing. My son Grant had a package that was something like 30 bucks go completely missing. And the seller in Grant's case and the seller in my case, different sellers, both were like, (laughs) wow. Yeah. So you just don't know how it's going to play. And again, the sellers aren't the bad guys, but they're facing a burden. And then us as customers as well, because in the delivery cycle, things are going missing, going broken and getting stolen. Uh, Coming up ahead, I want to talk to you about relationship advice. Not my normal thing, but there's something we need to talk about where my whole thing with your wallet and your thing with your heart, we got to talk how they meet or they have a really bad crash. It's very, very common. In fact, it depends on which survey you look at. Somewhere between uh, one in three and maybe 40% of people in a relationship uh, where more than just dating someone, where they're living with somebody, they're their um, partner, or they're married to someone, that it's very common that people hide debt from their partner, significant other, spouse, or people hide money from their significant other, spouse, whatever. I'm trying to make sure I'm really inclusive with all those categories of people, how they couple. So it may feel like you're maintaining some level of independence or you don't want him or her to know about what you're doing with what you've got and all that. I believe it's toxic. This is something a lot of people may have different opinions on, but I think it's really, really dangerous when you hide debt from the person you love, when you hide money from the person you love. If, if you are in a relationship with someone who's abusive, that's a different story. Uh, then that's when the real issue is you need to... Uh, deal with why it is you're attracted to somebody who's abusive, and that's way outside of my area. Or you might want to save money to get out. Right. I mean, that would be a case where you already 
you're not trying to preserve the relationship. You're trying to preserve your safety and well-being, and so you're hiding money. But other than that circumstance, I believe you poison a relationship. I think about over the years how many people I've talked to who come to me with hurt or anger or rage or a combination of those things in different amounts when they find out that the person they love was hiding all these debts from them. Uh, gosh, I remember we did uh, when we did the series of shows for the Discovery Network. Mm-hmm. That was a long time ago. Was. And we were dealing with these issues with couples where they were uh, they were just at each other's throats because one or the other of the couple was hiding all this debt they had and then eventually it comes forward somehow some way someday it comes out and you feel like you're living with a stranger not the person you thought you knew it's just too dangerous where you're trying to establish a real loving trusting relationship to hide about money and you know people have more trouble talking with the person they love about money than they do about what goes on in the bedroom it's just straight out fact and so here's what i believe people get married generally and couple up generally at a much later age in life than people used to you know people used to get married in their teens are right about 20, 21 years old. And they really hadn't established themselves in life. It was a much more linear time with how you do things. But today, people tend to get married later than they used to. They've already been out doing their own thing. They already have their own job, all that. So what I find works best, particularly with people who are not married and have a partner or living together and maybe in a marriage as well it depends on the dynamic of your marriage is that you don't hide accounts you don't hide money you don't hide your credit cards or whatever but what you do instead is you have um you each have your own accounts of whatever and then you have like a house account to deal with joint obligations whether it's paying a share of the rent or the mortgage or whatever the joint, the utilities, paying for the internet, um, whatever streaming services you're getting, whatever, you get the idea is that you have this house account for things together. And some couples dynamics, you would just do everything together. But a lot of times it's good to have uh, an account for each person and credit cards. You should always have credit cards in your own name. Credit card companies today don't do very rarely would they ever do a joint owner credit card because the it's been a nightmare for the banks when somebody doesn't pay as a joint owner. So now what they do is they tend to do cards that have 
an owner of the account and you can have authorized users. That's the most common way it's done now. And if you're fully integrated financially, you should still have cards in each person's name as the owner to each Noah's Ark rule, two for each. And if you want to make your spouse, significant other, partner, a uh, authorized user and give them a card, you do it. If you're worried about what they might spend money on versus what you'd want to spend money on, then you don't make them an authorized user because it's not worth it when you open that bill that month and you see, why did you spend that on that? You know, and so it's really great to know the spending patterns of the person you love because you want to keep loving them, right? And I find that couples where they have very different attitudes about money, about saving, about spending and all that, that it's not addressed till something goes wrong and then it's an ugly situation where somebody's lost their temper. I don't want you in a couple to obsess about money, but I want you to discuss it. I don't want you to live in a relationship where you feel like you've got to hide what you're doing from the other person. That's just so unhealthy. And at the same time, I don't want you to obligate the other person in a relationship to a debt that is not their thing. You know, that they would they would feel like, I can't believe I'm having to spend part of my paycheck to deal with you wanting to do blah, blah, blah. So marriage and relationships are an ongoing um, mediation session, aren't they? I'm trying to think of the right term for this because I'm Negotiation. not. Negotiation. It is you know, an ongoing. Making sure you're on the same page. And I saw that stat you had about the percentage of people who have committed financial infidelity, had a secret account or whatever. Depends on the survey. If it's like a third of people, 40 something yeah, percent yeah, yeah. of people, it all depends exactly how you ask the question. Mm-hmm. But if you get really, really narrow and say, hey, have you ever spent money that you never told your whatever, yeah. your partner about, then the number goes way up. Mm-hmm. Because there are things we might do um, that that are little things that were just, well, it wasn't really truly necessary to tell someone. But I'm talking about an ongoing pattern yeah. of hiding money and hiding debt is a cancer on that love. And I don't want you to do that. Let's go to some questions. Let's do it. This is from Samantha in Texas. I froze all three of my credit reports to prevent hard inquiries. What can I do to prevent soft inquiries? The answer is you can't. Um, So let me explain the difference between a hard inquiry and a soft inquiry. A hard inquiry is what you're doing with a credit freeze. You're preventing somebody from applying for new credit as if they're you. That's the heart of what you're trying to do is because once somebody's applied for credit as if they're you and they go buy a bunch of stuff and then the bill comes to you, let me tell you, it's ugly. It's really, really bad. So that's why credit freeze, which is free to do, is so important. A soft inquiry. Okay, so there are lots of circumstances with a soft inquiry. Let's go back to credit cards. I was talking about them earlier and the couples thing. So Almost every credit card out there checks your credit 
every single month because they want to see if there's an uh-oh coming. If you're suddenly missing payments or you're suddenly charging a lot more on cards than you used to, they will maybe shut you off, cut your limit, whatever. They may even close your account without notice. And so they're checking you every single month. You're their customer, almost all of them. And so that is called a soft inquiry. They don't need your permission, but they're doing it. When you apply for insurance, auto insurance, homeowner's insurance, various types of insurance, they're going to do inquiries. And that's a soft inquiry. When an employer or a potential employer checks your credit, that's a soft inquiry. Those soft hits, as they're called in the trade, do not affect your credit, do not affect your score, and you are powerless to prevent them. This is from Rachel in Texas. I've been a fan for many, many years, and now I need your help. I bought tickets to an event through Ticketmaster. A scheduling conflict came up, so I needed to sell them. Ticketmaster is now requiring me to enter my social security number in order to get paid. I'm really not comfortable with this. I sold them for what I paid, so I'm really just getting my money back. Plus, I'm not even close to the $600 threshold for the IRS. In their FAQs, they say they ask for the info for all sellers, even if you don't sell over $600. Is there any workaround here? So, Rachel, I hate for people to have your social security number because of the various reporting rules that were tightened over the last year because of people who were not reporting income properly on their taxes, this is going to become a very routine thing with so many people you might use. You're going to potentially find it with things like um, uh, Venmo and Cash App, where they're going to ask for or require your social security number to see what transactions are going on. In the case of Ticketmaster, they are doing a cumulative thing. So you sell these tickets, you might sell some others later and others later. So everybody who buys from Ticketmaster, and this will be true from other sellers as well, you're going to be required to provide the social, which means there's one more place an identity thief could potentially uh, do a hack and have access to your social security number. And so you want the money, and the way you get your money, the certainty is you give your social security number. You don't give your social security number, you're not going to get your money, period. The risk is a possibility that somebody might hack into Ticketmaster and get people's social security numbers. But the, but the truth is that's a risk versus a clear certainty, which is the way you get your money from selling these tickets, is to give your social security number. So my thing with giving your social security number, somebody's got to have a really good, valid reason to have it before you ever give it. And this is unfortunately something that has become a valid reason. I can't say a good valid reason, but it is a valid reason I'd give the number. This is from Jalen in Texas. I pay my rent on time every month and would like to use websites like Rental Karma to boost my credit score. Is it worth it? Yeah, so Jalen, this is becoming worth it. What's not clear is which of the rental tracking services 
are most often going to be able to help you with improving your credit standing. This is there's a lot of players trying to become mainstream in this area. And I don't have anybody who you mentioned one, Rental Karma, but there are many of these. I don't have one in particular that I can say, okay, using this one, this is absolutely going to work and help you raise your credit score because we're still in the pioneering phase of, we're not even to settler yet, we're still in pioneering phase of scoring models being more acceptable to lenders that use things other than traditional credit, that use how you pay your cell phone bill, that use how you pay your utility bills, that use how you pay your rent, things that show a good indicator of how reliable you are of paying your bills on time, but have never been part of traditional scoring models. So at this point, if you do one of these rental monitoring services that in theory are reporting your rent to the bureau, it's unclear how that will reflect on your credit and improving your credit. We'll get there. We're just not at the point yet where I can say, yes, absolutely do this. So I want to tell you, I love the questions that we had today. They were wonderful questions. The hardest part for me is that I can't get to even a tiny fraction of all the questions were asked, which are in the many thousands every week. And that's why we have the Team Clark Consumer Action Center, where you can get free one-on-one advice Monday through Friday, except holidays, from 10 in the morning Eastern Time Zone to 4 in the afternoon Eastern Time Zone. The phone number to call for one-on-one free advice, 636 49 Clark.